Section 10 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Luke, Volume 1, by J. C. Ryle. Chapter 1, verses 67 to 80. The Prophecy and Song of Praise Uttered by Zacharias. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Luke, Chapter 1, verses 67 to 80. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us, that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him, all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day-spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew, and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Another hymn of praise demands our attention in these verses. We have read the thanksgiving of Mary, the mother of our Lord. Let us now read the thanksgiving of Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. We have heard what praises the first advent of Christ drew from the virgin of the house of David. Let us now hear what praise it draws from an aged priest. We should notice, firstly, the deep thankfulness of a Jewish believer's heart in the prospect of Messiah's appearing. Praise is the first word that falls from the mouth of Zacharias as soon as his dumbness is removed and his speech restored. He begins with the same expression which St. Paul begins several of his epistles, Blessed be the Lord. At this period of the world we can hardly understand the depth of this good man's feelings. We must imagine ourselves in his position. We must fancy ourselves seeing the fulfillment of the oldest promise in the Old Testament, the promise of a Saviour, and beholding the accomplishment of this promise brought near to our own door. We must try to realize what a dim and imperfect view men had of the gospel before Christ actually appeared, and the shadows and types passed away. Then, perhaps, we may have some idea of the feelings of Zacharias when he cried out, Blessed be the Lord! It may be feared that Christians have very low and inadequate conceptions of their amazing privileges in living under the full light of the gospel. We have probably a very faint idea of the comparative dimness and twilight of the Jewish dispensation. We have a very feeble notion of what a church must have been before the incarnation of Christ. Let us open our eyes to the extent of our obligations. Let us learn from the example of Zacharias to be more thankful. We should notice, secondly, in this hymn of praise, 
how much stress Zacharias lays on God's fulfillment of his promises. He declares that God has visited and redeemed his people, speaking of it in the manner of the prophets as a thing already accomplished, because sure to take place. He goes on to proclaim the instrument of this redemption, a horn of salvation, a strong saviour of the house of David. And then he adds that all this is done, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophet, to perform the mercy promised, to remember his holy covenant, and the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. It is clear that the souls of Old Testament believers fed much on God's promises. They were obliged to walk by faith far more than we are. They knew nothing of the great facts which we know about Christ's life and death and resurrection. They looked forward to redemption as a thing hoped for, but not yet seen, and their only warrant for their hope was God's covenanted word. Their faith may well put us to shame. So far from disparaging Old Testament believers, as some are disposed to do, we ought to marvel that they were what they were. Let us learn to rest on promises and embrace them as Zacharias did. Let us not doubt that every word of God about his people concerning things future shall as surely be fulfilled as every word about them has been fulfilled concerning things past. Their safety is secured by promise. The world, the flesh, the devil shall never prevail against any believer. Their acquittal at the last day is secured by promise. They shall not come into condemnation, but shall be presented spotless before the Father's throne. Their final glory is secured by promise. Their Savior shall come again the second time, as surely as he came the first, to gather his saints together and to give them a crown of righteousness. Let us be persuaded of these promises. Let us embrace them and not let them go. They will never fail us. God's word is never broken. He is not a man that he should lie. We have a seal on every promise which Zacharias never saw. We have the seal of Christ's blood to assure us that what God has promised, God will perform. We should notice, thirdly, in this hymn, what clear views of Christ's kingdom Zacharias possessed. He speaks of being saved and delivered from the hands of enemies, as if he had in view a temporal kingdom and a temporal deliverer from Gentile power. But he does not stop there. He declares that the kingdom of Messiah is a kingdom in which his people are to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him. This kingdom, he proclaimed, was drawing nigh. Prophets had long foretold that it would one day be set up in the birth of his son John the Baptist, and the near approach of Christ, Zacharias saw this kingdom close at hand. The foundation of this kingdom of Messiah was laid by the preaching of the gospel. From that time the Lord Jesus has been continually gathering out subjects from an evil world. The full completion of the kingdom is an event yet to come. The saints of the Most High shall one day have entire dominion. The little stone of the gospel kingdom shall yet fill the whole earth. But whether in its incomplete or complete state, the subjects of the kingdom are always of one character. They serve God without fear. They serve God in holiness and righteousness. 
let us give all diligence to belong to this kingdom small as it seems now it will be great and glorious one day the men and women who have served god in holiness and righteousness shall one day see all things put under them every enemy shall be subdued and they shall reign for ever in that new heaven and earth wherein dwelleth righteousness we should notice finally what clear views of doctrine zacharias enjoyed he ends his hymn of praise by addressing his infant son john the baptist he foretells that he shall go before the face of messiah and give knowledge of the salvation that he is about to bring in a salvation which is all of grace and mercy a salvation of which the leading privileges are remission of sins light and peace let us end the chapter by examining what we know of these three glorious privileges do we know anything of pardon have we turned from darkness to light have we tasted peace with god these after all are the realities of christianity these are the things without which church membership and sacraments save no one's soul let us never rest till we are experimentally acquainted with them mercy and grace have provided them mercy and grace will give them to all who call on christ's name let us never rest till the spirit witnesses with our spirit that our sins are forgiven us that we have passed from darkness to light and that we are actually walking in the narrow way the way of peace notes luke chapter 1 verses 67 to 80 verse 69 a horn of salvation henry venn remarks the horn of an animal is its weapon for defense and vengeance its ornament and beauty too it is used therefore in the prophetic style to denote the power of the strongest empires in the same sense we are to understand it here by this image the exceeding greatness of the redeemer's strength and the never-ceasing exertion of it in behalf of his church are signified then on the prophecy of zacharias verse seventy he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets let us note that it is expressly said that god spoke by the prophets when we read their words we read the words of god Burgon gives the following apt quotation from Hooker. They neither spoke nor wrote any word of their own, but uttered syllable by syllable as the Spirit put it into their mouths, no otherwise than as the harp or the lute doth give a sound according to the discretion of his hands that holdeth and striketh it with skill. Verses 71 and 74. Our Enemies we are left to gather from other sources who are meant by these enemies it is highly improbable that the expression is to be taken only in a spiritual sense and that zacharias only means that christ delivers his believing people from the world the flesh and the devil it is far more probable that the prophecy of zacharias speaking as he did when filled with the holy ghost looks far forward into all time and includes both the second and the first advents of jesus christ in this view the expression enemies includes not only the spiritual enemies from whom jesus delivers his people now but the literal enemies from whom he will deliver his redeemed church and the scattered tribes of israel at his future second appearing 
Verse 78. Day spring. This must mean Christ himself. He is called in Malachi the son of righteousness, and in Peter the day star, and in Revelation the bright and morning star. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, Second Peter chapter 1 verse 19, Revelation chapter 22 verse 16. All are figurative expressions teaching the same grand truth, that Christ is the light of the world. John chapter 8 verse 12. End of section 10.